Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer. And I'm Katie Ganey. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture. And today is a throwback episode because it has been just about 20 years since this movie came out, 20 years this year, and that is Almost Famous, which we will be reviewing today here on the Silver Screen Podcast, episode number 43, and it's streaming on Hulu right now, so you can watch it very easily if you'd like to watch it and then listen to our review of the episode. But Katie, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Jared. I feel like uh, I've been missing you in the podcast because we haven't had many movies to go see. I know. We haven't actually been to the theater in a little while just because we had our Oscars episode and then, you know, Parasite and Jojo Rabbit and all those things where we watched either, you know, on streaming or at least I did. I know you went to the theater for some of those, but I haven't been to the theater in yeah. quite a while. So <laughs> and uh, that streak I did. continues. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I did just listen to the Oscar recap episode today, um, and I realized I didn't change it because when I post on social media, it takes forever because I do it on all the channels and all that stuff. But I accidentally, uh, my original post from my Instagram and stuff, I posted Brad Pitt, and then I realized he's not holding his Oscar. He's holding, I think, a Golden Globe. Okay. And I was like, whatever. So I made a note in the comments <laughs> just that I messed it up. But anyway, I found a picture later. So if people look on the podcast, Silver Screen Podcast, Instagram, or Facebook, it's correct. Okay. And if you look on my personal stuff, he's holding a Golden Globe. It doesn't just, matter. Just um, Photoshop I enjoyed it the episode. Oscar on there. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But it just brought me back uh, to a couple weeks ago when we watched the Oscars, and I was happy all over again, thinking about Parasite. And I already am ready to watch it again. I know for sure I'm going to buy it when it comes out. Yes, and if you watch the Oscars and would like a recap, we have that episode available for you, as well as episodes of all the Best Picture nominees, so just scroll back through the feed and you will find them all, so you can, if you're catching up on those now, then you can listen to our reviews of those those movies too on the Silver Screen Podcast here, and one movie that we're excited for that comes out in April is No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie, and Katie has taken up the James Bond challenge where she is trying to watch all the James Bond movies before this comes out in about a month or so. And how many James Bond movies are there actually? So I looked at this last night. There's currently 26, but okay. with no time to die, it's 27. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. So that's interesting. Cause they keep calling, they keep telling the saying that this is bond 25, which I don't understand if there's, there's 27. <gasps> I think movies. I know why. Okay. I actually <laughs> think I know this. So I looked at Wikipedia and yes. Wikipedia, something to do with Eon. Two of them were made outside of Eon, which I, I should probably check what that actually is. For, for some reason, I thought that had to do with a production company. Okay. Um, but two of them were not made with Eon. So okay. I should probably double check that. But I would, I do suspect that's why they say it's 25. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. So, okay. yeah, because there is a few that uh, in the early days that were produced that weren't produced by Eon. So that makes sense i guess so interesting that they would abbreviate it that way but it's easy for people to to recognize that it is bond 25 so so this says um aha okay eon i already looked it up because i want to know eon productions limited is an abbreviation of everything or nothing it's a british film production company that primarily produces the james bond film series they're based in london's piccadilly which i've been there and then they operate from pinewood studios in the united kingdom so i'm guessing that eon productions did not produce two of the films Gotcha. At that least that's what it says on Wikipedia. 
But we are excited for No Time to Die when it comes out in April. So the last Daniel Craig Bond film. He has said that publicly that this is the end for him and he's not going to do another one. So it'll be interesting to see who takes over as James Bond going forward. But excited for this one in it. The trailers and stuff look pretty good. So definitely one of my more anticipated movies of the year. So always love a good James Bond flick. So with this episode of the Silver Screen Podcast, we are reviewing, like we said, Almost Famous, which came out September 15th of 2000 it's rated r for language drug content and brief nudity just a little over two hours and then imdb it's a 7.9 out of 10 rotten tomatoes critics 89 percent audience 92 percent. so very highly rated um absolutely i was surprised by that actually too because i didn't know if that was more of a recent thing um like i didn't know if they could change their scores what i did notice on rotten tomatoes at least though is that they didn't have very many critics reviews which not makes that that sense. changes yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking like i wonder how popular rotten tomatoes was back when the film came out and it probably wasn't nearly what it's considered today and how people really care about what well, some people care about what Rotten Tomato has to say, but the total count, at least for the tomato meter, they only had 166 people, Okay, which I think is completely fine. I, I don't really disagree with the scores either, um, but I did that. That was something I considered when I was looking up stuff for that episode. Yes, because that this movie came back out in 2000. So internet was obviously a thing, but it wasn't as fast as it is now and is easily accessible. So that makes sense. So people have probably gone back and rated it, like maybe for the 10-year anniversary or 15 or this year it's 20. So maybe they've gone back and given their thoughts on it. But it is very highly rated. I will say, though, this is a little spoiler for later in the episode, but I I don't love this movie. I like it, but I don't love it. I don't know if that's controversial or not, but that's kind of oh, my dear. overall thought on it. Oh, so, dear. I've seen it three times, so and I do like a, it, but... <laughs> yeah, it is a cult classic for sure. Um, I will say, I actually had only seen this movie once before prior to watching it for this episode. Okay. I didn't love it the first time I saw it, and then I really, really liked it this time. Okay. Um, the first time I saw it, I was in college, and I think I was a freshman, and I watched it by myself. And I do think that a lot has happened in those times and I, I appreciate different things now. So that might have colored my view. And Jared, then I'm scared to say this because this might be controversial. But the guy who plays the William, the the main character or whatever, yeah. I he reminded me a ton of you, actually. Really? OK. <laughs> yes. Because of how he's he's like inquisitive, but intelligent. Yeah, how he like he's eager to get kind of close to these people he's really into music you're really into music that is true um so i just i think a lot of that i would say your hair color is similar there was just a yep. lot of things and it might be just because i know your mannerisms and stuff that that maybe reached out to me more but he reminded me of you but i mean that in a really good way yeah i guess i didn't even really make that connection which is interesting so but it is a really good movie and i do like it it's just not i wouldn't give it like a you know 95 or something like that so that's just me personally sure. but we'll get into that more as we go on and box office wise it made 32 million dollars domestically that's in 2000s money so if you compare that to today it's probably closer to like 50 or 60 million and then worldwide it made 47 million dollars so that was its total box office 
If you don't know what Almost Famous is about, it is a high school boy is given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an up-and-coming rock band as he accompanies them on their concert tour. So basically, he goes along with the band and hangs out with them at shows and the hotels, and he's trying to get an interview with the lead singer of the band, and they're, they're trying to possibly use that for Rolling Stone magazine in an interview. So... That's kind of the whole plot of this movie, and it really doesn't stray from that storyline too much, which is one thing I do like about it. It's got some multiple storylines going on, but all of them are contained in kind of that band reporter journalist dynamic. So that's cool to see. And uh, obviously things happen on the road while they're out on tour. And so that has a lot of effect on things. And there's this has a really stacked cast too, including people that maybe weren't huge when they were in this movie, but then became pretty big stars. So I think this was like a, a jumping point, starting off point for a lot of people in, in their careers. I couldn't believe the cast in this film, and I didn't remember any of them except Kate Hudson from the first time <laughs> I saw this movie. So it was like every single person that came across the screen, I thought, they're in it? They're in it? I don't know how many times they said, like, they're in this movie? And Kate so. Hudson makes sense because she's the one that's on the poster, the very iconic poster with the yes. glasses and almost famous and everything. So if you haven't seen this movie, I can guarantee you you've seen the poster because it's one of the more iconic mo movie posters for sure. Oh, sorry. I did want to mention uh, we took a poll, which I know we mentioned and we said in the last episode we were going to. This movie was super, super popular 20 years ago, but we put Gladiator and Aaron Brockovich as the other options or whatever. This one actually only beat Aaron Brockovich by two votes. So I did want people to know um, we'll remember that. I personally love Aaron Brockovich, so I wanted it to win, but I didn't I didn't cook the books, if you will. I also didn't count a vote from myself, so if that helps. Um, but if we do something like that in the future, I anticipate we will. We might put that as another option or just remember in the future to do it uh, when we have some downtime or need a throwback movie. Yes, voting was pretty close, and I actually haven't seen Aaron Brockovich, so I'll just hold off on that and wait until we possibly do a throwback on it. And also, we got a lot of uh, write-in votes for The Fast and Furious, which was not one of the three choices, but <laughs> I'm always up for reviewing The Fast and the Furious because those movies are insanely fun. So, yeah, we can always do a, a throwback of The Fast and the Furious. That came out in 2001, so next year will be the 20-year anniversary of Fast and Furious. So. Oh, wow, great. I'm so glad you said that on the podcast now Arjun's going to hear it and he's going to demand we do a review. We did Hobbs and Shaw, isn't that enough? We did do Hobbs and Shaw and there's another Fast and Furious movie coming out this year. So Fast 9 comes out wow. this year, you, so you'll have another one to go see. If you're obsessed, if you love Fast and the Furious, the Hobbs and Shaw episode, we did that back way back in episode 16 if you want to listen. Nice. And we probably will do F9, the new Fast and Furious movie. So, which does not have The Rock in it, but does have Vin Diesel and John Cena. So, there you go. It's coming out in May, and it's gonna, probably going to make a lot of money because those are very popular. So, that was yes. the results of our voting, though. So, that's how we got to this episode on Almost Famous. And so we'll get into some critics' reviews now. First, we have Peter Rainier of New York Magazine and Vulture, who says, A blissfully sweet coming-of-age movie in which everyone, young and less young, come of age. <laughs> I like how he said that, actually. Um, but I thought this was a really good summation of the film, too, because a lot of this really, I think it is just it's a coming of age film. Everybody at some point, we all grow up. We're teenagers at one point, get older. We have hobbies, whether it's listening to music and following rock bands or not. So I thought this was a really good summary of the film. 
Next up, we have Owen Gleberman of Entertainment Weekly, who says the performances have a beautiful, unforced naturalism, and the movie is laced with memorable moments, which I would agree. There are a lot of memorable moments in this movie, a lot of scenes that stand out as you follow this rock band on their tour. Yeah, out of the quotes that I picked, this was my favorite. I thought this was the the best definition of the film. I I also thought the actors too. I did at moments, which I say this about a lot of Oscar winning performances, but a lot of these people, it didn't seem like they were acting. I don't mean that as a slight. I mean, these people really seemed like, like even Billy Crudup and stuff. I thought, did he live? Like, I feel like he could have been in this band in the seventies. And Kate Hudson, I think she was just made for that role. I'm not surprised that this role made her famous, and I'm not, I'm not surprised that they saw something in her to make her a Penny Lane. Mm-hmm. And she did win the Golden Globe for this role and was nominated for an Oscar, but did not win. Frances McDormand was also nominated for an uh, Oscar for this movie too. So, just surprising because she's only in it for about ten minutes, but. That's that's a different <laughs> yeah. matter. So, uh, but they were both nominated for Oscars, and then it was nominated for best editing, and it did win best screenplay, which we'll talk about here in just a minute when we talk about uh, Cameron Crowe. But next up, we have Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times, who says, "See it, and it'll stay with you as your own memories do. All are uh, funny, poignant, bittersweet, and irreplaceable." Yeah, I don't have much to say about that quote, but I liked all of the words he used to describe the film, and I thought that was pretty spot on. And then I did find one negative comment. And that is from Jay Hoberman of The Village Voice, who says, Panoramic yet cozy, enthusiastically glib, almost famous suggests a universe of interlocking sitcoms. I this I mean this isn't my favorite movie of all time but I didn't get the interlocking sitcoms part. Yeah, I don't really think quote. any of this yeah none of this to me read of a sitcom but I also was trying to find something negative cuz there were a lot of positive comments and I was trying to find critics we don't normally gravitate to so I was trying to switch it up a little bit. And there is like, you know, there is funny moments, but that's they come up naturally. I feel like they're not forced, really. Like the script is good that they just kind of occur. So Cameron Crowe did a really good job with the script. And we'll talk a little bit about him now. And he did win an Oscar for best screenplay for Almost Famous or best original screenplay, we should say, because this is an original story. And he's directed or written a lot of other movies that you've probably seen or at least heard of, which are Jerry Maguire, Elizabeth Town, Say Anything, Vanilla Sky. We bought a zoo and Aloha. Don't watch Aloha. It's not very good. I'm just going to throw <laughs> hey, that <now>. out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it wasn't very good. I will say I love Elizabeth Town and it is one of my it's one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. And it's a movie more than I, I would say, like, as far as movies that come back in my brain all the time or something makes me think of that movie. Elizabethtown is probably in like a top 10 movie for me, just as far as like how I relate to it and remember parts of it. And with Aloha, because I saw that in theaters, I think I was one of the few people that did see it because I made 26 yeah. million. But how was this movie bad? I don't know. Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams, Bill Murray, John Krasinski, Danny McBride and Alec Baldwin. How, how did yeah. we screw that up? I don't know, but I look at some of his other ones like I'm not a Tom Cruise fan and I Jerry Maguire's fine, but it was just kind of OK to me when I look at this list of things he's done to me, Elizabethtown and Say Anything and Almost Famous would be my favorites. I also heard We Bought a Zoo was good, but I think it was just not like 
an Oscar winning kind of a thing. It was just kind of like a cute family film. Yeah, I heard it was pretty decent, like especially as like, as you said, a family movie. So I haven't seen that one with Matt Damon. But I know when it came out, it was fairly popular and, you know, was pretty well received. It wasn't like one of his best movies, but people seemed to like it. Okay, for like, you know, what it was a kids movie, basically. So yes, yeah. So that is a little bit about Cameron Crowe. And when we come back here on the Silver Screen Podcast, we'll get into the actors of Almost Famous and give you some of our likes and dislikes. That's coming up right here on the Silver Screen Podcast. And we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast talking about Almost Famous, directed by Cameron Crowe, which came out in the year 2000. And we'll get into the cast now, some of the cast, because this has a very stacked cast. But we'll start with Kate Hudson, who plays Penny Lane. Yes, I loved her name in the film. Penny Lane, obviously not based on a real person, at least not that we know of. Well, I think the character was based on a real person, but not anyone named Penny Lane. Kate Hudson, I don't think I have to explain her. I would think most of the people that listen to this podcast know her, but she's best known for Bride Wars, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and Fool's Gold. She has two upcoming movies called Music, and the second one is Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. So we'll see how those go. But I think Kate Hudson, I've heard, I actually read this last night too when I was looking up different things about her. She's just one of those people that's kind of known in the industry for being really sweet. Like people like her, not, I I think she's, Jennifer Garner, I think everybody thinks is like the girl next door. I think Kate Hudson is just like, she's a funny, free spirit that everybody really likes and has a pretty serious work ethic as well. So it was nice to read sweet comments about her that seem to be consistent. That usually to me, makes them seem more believable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she does seem like she's pretty nice. So I haven't seen her in anything super recently, like something that I've seen recently Mm -mm. that she was in. I guess Deepwater Horizon would probably be the last thing that I've seen that she's in, which came out in 2016. Yeah. So, But like you said, she does have some stuff in post-production that will be coming out this year and and later. Next up, we have Billy Crudup. Had to throw in a crush alert. He plays. Oh, man, I need to breathe for a second here. He plays Russell Hammond. So he's one of the main characters as well. I have seen him in so many movies. I would argue this guy is like one of those people that you see him in in everything. He's in Mm -hmm. um, also like X-Men, other things like that. But then you see him in characters like in Spotlight. Um, And I've even seen him, I think, in a couple TV shows and stuff. But he always shows up and he's really good at playing all sorts of different things. A villain, a businessman, a rock star, you name it. He's done it. Um, And also there's been I I won't I won't spread the drama on here, but I will tell you he has created quite a bit of drama in real life. If you look him up, just Google him with Claire Danes. Anyway, moving on. He was so good looking in this, Jared. I, I didn't even know what to do. Um, and maybe it was just because of like, I don't know that I gravitate towards long hair like that or that style, but it was something about that time period fits him perfectly. So he looked fantastic. And I will say he's aged very, very well. He is not someone I would have ever put on a list before, but now he is definitely on the list. Um, but you've seen him before in Watchmen, the movie, not the TV show, Big Fish, The Good Shepherd and Spotlight. He is currently starring in The Morning Show that is on Apple TV. So go ahead and watch that. That's with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. I am dying to see it. Yes. And, and I didn't uh, see any. Oh, oh sorry. I was going to say I didn't see upcoming <laughs> things. 
Yes. Um, but he he is going to keep recurring on that role from what I understand. Yes, he. Uh, I was going to just say that I've watched some of the morning show and he's very good on it. His character is Corey and he plays kind of like the network executive, like the guy behind the whole pairing of Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and dealing with the whole Steve Carell thing. Oh, yeah. Like the fallout and everything. So he's kind of like handling all that. And from like a TV executive standpoint, I think his character is very interesting, though. I think it's one of the better written and acted performances on the show so he's really good in that show though so if you want to check him out on something uh definitely check out the morning show because he's really good in that so awesome and next up we have um patrick fugit he plays william miller that's the one that i think is similar to jared in real life um he was also in the movie saved with mandy moore that was kind of like a little not a cult classic but i remember people really liked that movie and it was weird um, he also had a role in First Man. He was uh, Officer James Gilpin. I thought I would, excuse me, sorry. He was in First Man, and then he was Officer James Gilpin in Gone Girl. So both of those uh, credits or whatever, I was like, oh, I need to go back and rewatch these so I can notice him this time. Um, both relatively small roles. Um, next up, he is going to be in a, it's classified as a drama slash horror film called My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. So I'm not sure who's creating that film or anything, but I did see that he's going to star in that. And even though I didn't know him, um, I looked and he actually has quite a long acting credit list. So he has definitely been in things. It's not like he dropped off the earth or anything. Okay. Cause this is his um, like most famous role, but oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And now oh. he's 30, I think 37 or something. Cause yeah. I looked that up too, but I don't recall. So um, and then this movie also starred some other huge names or people that you might recognize their name and not their face, but definitely worth a watch. Um, Frances McDormand, we already called her out. She's fantastic in this. Jason Lee, Zoe Deschanel, when she's very, very, very young. Anna Paquin, Feruza Balk, she was in that movie, The Craft. Um, Jimmy Fallon, of all people, and also Philip Seymour Hoffman which was kind of sad to see him. And then Michael Angarano, he is currently starring on uh, This Is Us. So yes. if you want to see him now, he is a grown up and that is the show that he is on. I have to say, uh, Jimmy Fallon is the most, the one that catches me the most off guard every time I watch this because th his character is so different from the real life Jimmy Fallon that at least the way like he, he has a beard and he has these big hipster glasses on and like very long hair and in the movie it's just like he pops up and you know who he is but I always think it's funny every time I watch this like yeah that's Jimmy Fallon but it just is so different from like anything else that he's been in or like you know you see him hosting the Tonight Show every night and he's just he's doesn't look like he doesn't almost famous i couldn't stop laughing actually because uh it reminded me of his character with justin timberlake when they do the bgs and i was like did they use the same costume so that he could be on snl later and be a bg so that that was hysterical yeah i didn't love his character but it was cool to see him when he was that young um i actually thought philip seymour hoffman i remembered he had a bigger role than he actually did in this film but it was cool to see him um he was never my favorite actor by any means but certainly talented and either way it was sad to see someone who who died so young from something that could have been avoided yes. and he kind of plays like the you know he plays lester bangs in the movie who was a real music journalist so that's based on a real person but he kind of helps the character of william out as he's getting started and like gives him advice and there's a lot of scenes with like the two of them on the phone or just like him telling him some things about writing the story and following the band around and everything so definitely plays like the mentor character in this movie yeah, that's a good way to describe it. 
So we have, before we get into our likes and dislikes, we have uh, one of our friends who's a musician. His name is Jeff. So we asked him before this episode, hey, Jeff, do you have anything about Almost Famous that we need to know or any fun facts like, you know, from the music side of things in the movie, stuff like that. And he did actually have a few things. So we just wanted to, to share those now before we get into our likes and dislikes. Thank you. I'm calling this section Fun Facts from Jeff. Um, I I wanted to do a definite shout out to Jeff because Jeff actually reached out to me on Twitter. And I think so many times, I mean, people do sometimes comment on Instagram, but I think all the time we're like, message us, send us, send us some kind of comment, look at this photo, whatever. And people don't. I think the only thing they respond to are the votes. Like it vote for this movie. So it was really nice that Jeff actually messaged me. He like responded on Twitter and said that Almost Famous is his favorite movie of all time, which I should have known um, because I used to work with him and we're good friends. So oops. But he loves this movie. And then um, oddly enough, I remember, Jared, that you had interviewed him for the radio. So that was really cool. Um, but Jeff was in a band. He isn't in that band anymore, is my understanding. But he is an exceptional musician. And a very good friend. And I appreciate that he actually wrote to me. And he let me know so many things I wasn't aware of, but primarily that this movie was definitely based on Cameron Crowe's real life. And I did not realize how much. So when I looked it up, there was actually a great article on IndieWire.com. It was written in September of this last year, um, so 2019, and they were saying in the article how, oh, it's almost the 20-year anniversary. So that was funny. It's like they were setting it up for us to do the episode. (laughs) Um, But they were saying that Cameron Crowe, he did actually um, work for Rolling Stone magazine, Mm -hmm. or he did like an article for them, um, and it was in the 70s. And his mom, he said, was definitely the character of Frances McDormand, which when I originally wrote my notes, we haven't gotten into likes and dislikes, but a dislike of mine was her character character because I felt like we never really understood why she was the way she was. But this article just explains that she thought that that, um, the rock music was like just about promiscuous sex and drugs and all this stuff. And uh, apparently Cameron Crowe said rock was our poetry. And then uh, he says, of course, she was right about it being about drugs and sex. But he said we were good. He was good at feigning outrage, like with his sister. And he was like, it's not bad. And I love it so much. So I just thought that was funny. Um, and then Jeff also let me know that Nancy Wilson from Heart, the band Heart, yes. she wrote the music for the film. So okay. I thought that was super cool. Um, and I, I'm sure he would say more had I known earlier too, I might've asked him to actually like guest on the show. Um, but I appreciated his, his shout out and I I appreciate him just like even contacting me and I hope we do justice. I told him I was more nervous about recording this episode because I wanted to make sure that we gave it its due. Um, but I did really (laughs) like the film and Jeff, if you're listening, I liked it much better the second time and it's really cute and I would definitely watch it again. Yes. So I did know some of that about Cameron Crowe, that he was a journalist and he still writes for Rolling Stone now occasionally, not as much as he did back in the day. But and he did actually go out on the road when he was 16 to interview the Allman Brothers band, like you said. So this is very autobiographical story of his actual life and what he actually did, which when you think about it, it's crazy to think that like Rolling Stone would send somebody out that's 16 years old to go interview a band. Granted, it was the 70s, so we're a little more you know, go with the flow, man, type attitude than we are in 2020, but still pretty wild that he actually went out on the road and interviewed them. And then from there was able to interview other bands and of course make movies and all that stuff. Let's see. I'm trying to think of any other, I can't see anything else that he wrote for me, but I guess this leads me into a good portion of it. Hearing from a musician, 
Um, one of my favorite likes for the film was the music. I mm-hmm. know that Jared, you probably know a lot more about the music than I do as far as like just technical things about it. But I thought the music was perfect. And it was weird that on Rotten Tomatoes, some of the comments were like, this music didn't fit. Or they were saying like, you just threw a bunch of music into the film and thought it would be good. Some of the negative comments. Yeah. I completely disagree. I thought the music was great. And it was really cool to hear. Um, I mean, how much talent there was in the 70s. Yeah, so the soundtrack is one of my positives, too. I think it's very good soundtrack. And he used music, too, from a lot of bands that he had interviewed, Cameron Crowe. So, like, he's interviewed Yes and Leonard Sk- or Led Zeppelin, which is in here, and obviously the Allman Brothers Band, like we talked about. And lots of different uh, artists in this movie are featured. I will say, I guess people's complaint could be that the soundtrack... While the official soundtrack only has 17 songs, there's probably 50 or 60 songs that are used in the movie. And I could see where people would say that may be a little much because there is a lot of music in this movie. But I thought the songs that they featured were all good. There's not a song that makes it stand out and seem weird. So I think it's perfectly fine that there was a lot of music in a movie about music. I think that that just makes sense. Yes, I completely agree. I think that that is a good that sums it up nicely. And I know another one of your likes that you had is that um, the the style of this movie is very much like 70s with the costumes and the outfits and the hairstyles and things like that. And I know you said it reminded you kind of of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because that movie that came out recently had kind of the same style, same time period going on. Yes, definitely. I couldn't say it better. So I I really like, I mean, I, I don't even know if you'd call this a period film. It's not like it's the 1800s or anything, but it's the same. You're completely transported into a world where the music, the costumes, the set design, everything completely fits that time period. And to me, it felt like he left no st- stone unturned. Like he he didn't miss a beat. I felt like every set, every costume, everything was very meticulous and he made sure it fit that time period so much, which reminded me of, I appreciate that Tarantino does that so well. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was in 1969. So it was right before leading perfectly into the almost time, almost famous time period. Um, and then I was just realizing how on brand this was because since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out this last year, and then one of my top favorite books of last year was Daisy Jones and the Six, which is about rock bands in the 70s. But again, it's kind of a made up band. Um, I'm sure it's based on like it's an amalgamation of a bunch of bands. But that movie was so popular. Reese Witherspoon picked it or the book, excuse me. Reese Witherspoon picked it as her book of the month for one of the bo- months last year. And then they're already it's already signed on to be either a like a television series or a movie. So it's a big deal. And I thought this is there's something about this time period that I think people are really enjoying right now and will always kind of gravitate to because the music and the cost, the outfits, the fashion and everything was so um, unique and and particular for that time period. Yes. So I really love the the fashion and the styles in this movie, too. And you mentioned the music. I forgot to mention this when we talked about the soundtrack. But one thing that is this is kind of like more insider, I guess. But like Led Zeppelin, they don't allow their songs to be used in movies very often. They're very protective over who they allow to use their songs in movies. And obviously, Cameron Crowe interviewed them. So he was allowed to use uh, the song Cashmere um, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And then he was allowed to use four songs in this movie from Led Zeppelin not Stairway to Heaven which is probably their biggest hit but I just wanted to point that out that they are very protective over like who they let 
have you know songs in movies i can think of school of rock is another one surprisingly that does have a led zeppelin song in it the immigrant song when jack black is like yelling that in the van so but other than that there's not a ton of movies that have led zeppelin songs in them so when you watch this just know that that there's a lot of led zeppelin songs in this movie and that's pretty rare for for any movie really Wow, that's really cool. I had no idea, actually. So thank you. You taught me something today. And you brought up a great point because um, I didn't realize, well, I forgot I'd read it somewhere, but Cameron Crowe wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High because I kept looking at what he had, if he'd acted in things, um, but also if he did screenplays and stuff. And this was one of the screenplays he did. So thanks for pointing that out because I know that's a really, that's a pretty serious cult classic as well. Yes, it is. It's a, that's a, that's a big one for sure. So do you have any other likes before we move on to our dislikes? I think my last thing would just be, I loved Kate Hudson's ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spoil it. I mean, I think I can, this movie is 20 years old. It's not new, but um, at the end she calls or Russell's talking to her. So Billy Crudup's character and he, he wants to come see her cause he's, he's been horrible to her and he cheated on his wife for her and all this stuff. Um, but she tricks him into going to William's house to go see the kid rather than to come see her. So I like that she just made a choice for herself and she went off to go fix her life and kind of, you know, get sober and just go enjoy her life elsewhere. So I, I loved that ending. I didn't see that coming. I actually really thought they were just going to get together. It was going to be a love story. So I like how that ended. So with that, we'll move on to our dislikes now. Um, and one thing that I know was your dislike, and mine kind of too, is that Frances McDormand's character, who plays the mom in the film, um, she's very religious. She's very against music. She she kind of leads a very strict house and doesn't let her children have a lot of freedom or anything like that. But like we said, it is based on Cameron Crowe's real mother. So even though her character is, is dislikable, um, it was based pretty much on his actual mom. Yes, I was so helpful to read that article. I'm glad Jeff mentioned that today so I could look it up. Um, Because, yeah, she was my main dislike, really. And it wasn't just her character. I do think moms can be like that. I I would even say some of my family is, is like this. It's just that she seemed a bit absurd like it was it was odd to me that even though they were about free love, I know people like I even know about my parents that people there wasn't stranger danger. There was none of this like, call me when you get there. It was kind of people just ran around. And that's the way it was, because there wasn't this like all this terrifying stuff that we know of now or know out to, know to look for. Um So I know that she was like, yeah, you can have some of it was weird that she went from no freedom and zero tolerance about anything to just being like, I don't even know where my kid is. I'll try to reach him by phone. And I know there wasn't texting. It was nothing like that, but it, it seemed that she didn't make a huge effort to find him. She didn't go get him and drag him back to yeah. the house. She just kind of like tried to call occasionally to me. It was just too extreme. Um, and then, cause he even was going to miss graduation and stuff. And she just seemed kind of fine with it. So it was just odd to me and, and how she also just let her daughter run away. She's like, you're 18. I can't stop you. <laughs> and that was kind of it. And I thought what a bizarre storyline. I just would have liked to know more of why she was the way she was, what made her that way. Like reading about Cameron Crowe's life is great and very helpful, but I didn't get that from the film. So that was my, that was my small, uh, small issue with the film. Yeah, I will say the whole thing where like just not contacting him or there'll be just like days where she didn't 
get in contact with him or whatever is kind of crazy. Like, you know, I get like letting your kids have some freedom, but as a mother, I feel like you would still want to know where they are and what they're doing. And so I feel like they could have just, you know, spent a few more minutes on that in the movie just to kind of make that a little more believable because like no mother, no matter what time period it is, is going to let her kid one, probably go out on the road with a rock band that she doesn't even know for three whole weeks. And then also like just get in contact with him like every five days for about three minutes like that doesn't make much sense at all (laughs) yeah and then excuse (laughs) i'm so sorry i tried to cover it i had to cough um i know the the one other thing that bothered me this this isn't something you can change because this was indicative of the time period and really it's indicative of every time period but i was pretty disgusted with how much people slept with each other how no one felt bad about taking this kid's virginity when he was maybe 16 years old or 17 i don't know um and then just how much they did excessive drugs and cheated on spouses and there was just seemingly no consequences for anyone um like you can see billy crudup kind of felt bad some of the band members felt bad that he was bad to penny and penny overdose but then was saved but it it's still like it just seemed like they just behaved like idiots and then nothing happened to them so i guess i'm sure that's true of the time period but it was hard to watch it makes me it makes them pretty unlikable to me yes it definitely follows the mantra of sex drugs and rock and roll like that's definitely the tagline that this movie is using to tell its story and i did have before we move on to our grades i did have one more like that i forgot about so i'm gonna mention that real fast which is the plane crash scene where the plane doesn't actually crash but they think it might and they're all kind of telling their confessions and kind of having heart-to-heart conversations with (laughs) with each other i just wanted to mention that that is one of my likes because i think it's just well acted and it's well written too i think it's one of the better scenes in the movie when that actually happens um so i really just enjoyed i enjoy the plane crash scene not for what's happening obviously but for how the actors are acting that scene out and everybody is kind of all there together like all the band kate hudson jimmy fallon in that scene so everybody's kind of you know it's a very group effort in that scene but i just think it's really a well acted one i that's a great point that scene was hilarious it it did make me a little sad because i was thinking about um how recently kobe bryant Mm -hmm. that whole thing happened it actually did make me think of that but i like that that scene everything was okay everything ended well and the guys that screamed out i'm gay (laughs) <laughs> that was hilarious. I just thought that is totally something that would happen on a plane with people where they're like, I have someone has to know this secret. I have to be out before I go down. So that was hilarious. I totally agree with you. What a great scene. So now we'll move on to our grades for Almost Famous. Katie, would you like to go first? Oh, yes. Thank you. So I would like to say again, Jeff, please don't hate me. I didn't give it 100. Um Jeff, my friend, you're also my friend, Jared, but just want to clarify. <laughs> um, so I want to say I didn't mention this in the likes, but I adore Cameron Crowe's films. I love his style. Like it's so it's he really is a lot like Tarantino. I know mm-hmm. one's doing like they're completely doing different genres, but they both have such a style that is so uniquely theirs. And I really like when you can notice that about filmmakers, but also when they can do different films. I know I've harped a little bit on some of the gangster films, how some people can only do gangster films or only do war films, but I don't think that he is like that. I think he really has a variety of films that he tries to do in genres, um, and I appreciate it. I thought this film, so I actually gave it an 88 
And I did that because I like, there were things I didn't like about it. Um, but mainly it's hard to watch films now with the, with plot lines and just the technology and stuff that we have for me to go back to something 20 years ago and be blown away by it. And that sounds terrible. And, but it's like, to me, unless it was made in the early, in the, like the 1950s and it was these MGM productions that were musicals that were phenomenal or they're made today and people have spent millions of dollars on them. It's hard for me sometimes to find something I'm super impressed by made in that, that time period, I guess, in like 20 years ago. Um, but if it helps, I gave the farewell in 88 also, and I gave, um, as good as it gets, which I think is indicative of what I scored this one, but it's great. I would watch it again. Totally enjoyable. Um, and I love Cameron Crowe. It's just not my favorite of Cameron Crowe's films, but a great, a great film overall. I am going to go a little bit lower than you because like I said I I like this movie I don't love this movie I don't know if I really love any of Cameron Crowe's films I haven't seen a ton of them but the ones I have seen I think are fine but I don't love them now granted I have not seen Elizabeth Town or uh, Vanilla Sky so I can't really talk about those two but the other ones I think are fine but I don't really love them at all um, so I am going to give this a 72 out of 100 so I think it's good I just don't love it I've watched it three times now. I just have trouble connecting to the characters for some reason. I don't know why. It's just difficult for me to really connect with them and feel for them and care about what they're going through. I think the script is very good. I think the music is outstanding. The soundtrack and everything they picked is great. And it's a very interesting film about music because we don't get a lot of movies made about music nowadays. They've kind of come more prominent in the last couple of years with Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman and that Bruce Springsteen one that didn't do super well at the box office but did come out last year. So that is my grade for Almost Famous, a 72. I think that's totally fair, Jared. Um, I I think it just definitely depends on your, I think when you see things in your life, what speaks to you, like Elizabethtown, I know you haven't seen it, but I remember when that film came out, specific things that were happening in my life that related to what was happening to Orlando Bloom's character. So, so much of it just touched my heart because of when I saw it. So anyway, I get it. And I'm glad that we watched it though. I think it was a great uh, recommendation. So thank you everybody that voted for it. And I really, I enjoy doing the votes because I do like hearing from people who listen to the podcast and I like seeing what people like liked, you know, years ago, not just current day, because we never know now if a film's going to be good or not. Whereas 20 years ago, it's more likely people have seen the film. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So coming up here on the Silver Screen podcast, we will be having a lot of different episodes because March is a very busy month. So coming up onward is coming out the new Pixar movie. We also have A Quiet Place Part 2, Mulan. Those are all coming out in the next couple of weeks. We will probably be doing a review on Contagion because of the, the big coronavirus outbreak that is happening right now. Just that, that movie has become more relevant and almost more scary than it was when it came out since something like that is actually happening and katie i know you have not seen contagion before so i'm interested for you to watch it for the first time yeah i'm pretty terrified and also we should just uh, i think people know this but we're not making light of coronavirus it's terrifying uh we just thought this movie was very timely and we're trying to look at to switch up the podcast a little bit and see what we can do and go down other avenues so we just thought that would be a fun one and very relevant to right now Yes, and then you can listen to the Silver Screen Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're in all of those locations. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Silver, and then just search the Silver Screen Podcast on Facebook, and you will find us there. And our next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast will be on the movie Contagion. 
Until next time, we'd like to thank the Academy.